Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Thanks, Grayson White of Cherry in Australia. This is the last of my interviews from the Mint Collective. Apologize for the poor quality of the audio, but uh, not for the quality of the conversation. Thank you, Grayson, and thank you, listeners, and here it is. Basketball was big for us in the 90s for Beckett Basketball Card Month in Australia. Yeah. Our, were, were you involved at that time? I was in my early teens. The card shops over there were basketball-centric. They absolutely were. There was plenty of card shops, and, right. and it was normal to go into a news agency and buy a Beckett. My parents would get me a Beckett that, that month, and they'd bring it home. We had 40,000 copies being sold every month. For basketball, that'd be really good. That was in Australia. It was everywhere. Undoubtedly, when you think about it now, this industry is really taking off again. My business is Cherry. We're a little bit of all the businesses that exist here in the US. We're a bit of a breaker. We're a bit of a Descartes world. We're a little bit of a Burbank. The reason we evolved that way, Australia is so disconnected that we needed to provide a lot of the customer service those companies provided on, on a small scale. And I was lucky. I I found it at the right time in 2009 because of the global financial crisis. I left my home island with all my belongings. I moved to Melbourne and lost my job within three months. Had no money, no work, quickly running out of money to take girls on dates. I happened to stumble across a small market stand selling mixture of cards and I rediscovered my passion that afternoon. There's big distributors. My understanding is they started as basketball card shops in the early 90s. Probably. Um, Now they are $100 million distribution companies. They'd be the market leaders. But you still felt a need to do some distribution. There were holes, places that weren't being covered, or doing it better customer service or better understanding of the market. I felt the time was right for someone to take a risk in that category. But those big guys do a lot of things really well. They weren't prepared in 2009 to speculate on trading cards. I reached out to Panini uh, and discussed the current situation and made some commitments that probably were unrealistic at the time. But I'd grown up around racehorses. My family had raced horses and I love horses. And they've taught me everything. Yeah. That goes with people too. They teach you how to be kind to people. In business... Being kind and understanding and empathetic gets you a long way as well. What are your goals for your business? We want partnerships, and, and that hasn't changed. That's been the way Partnerships in terms of getting more product or more supplies? A lot of the production and manufacturing is here. Yeah, probably more services. A lot of pain points for Australians for services, whether it be grading, grading yeah. selling cards, consignment of cards, even authentication. The grading process is so extreme but even authentication there's a lot of areas that need assistance partnerships whether they be supply partnerships or not are the key to growing your business and that's our focus on the customer facing side of things we just want to connect with people better you're seeing partnerships mainly companies looking to have a footprint in australia they you made the decision to have a beckett footprint there in, uh, well, the, we didn't have to translate, you know, so that made it pretty easy. But a bit, uh, some of the deadlines and getting it there was not trivial, but we bootstrap most of our stuff. We start small and go from there. So, yeah. And the Australians were nice. <laughs> yeah. And it was profitable business for us. 
I think they probably sold the copies for more in Australian dollars. And Australia tax. We, we charge yeah. more for everything. Yeah. I, I came to my yeah. first industry summit in 2016 and I uh, walked into a room and then someone said, that that's Dr. Beckett. At the time, I had no idea there was a, a Beckett behind Beckett. And I thought, wow. I guess my question would be when to put the accelerator down in a business. Obviously, you start and you're building a foundation. What were the signs you saw that made you want to put the accelerator down? Back in the day, I was the brakes because we were in a river, fast flowing. And I was trying to make sure we didn't get out of control. A lot of the things we did in the late 80s and early 90s were one initiative per year. Yeah, so one year we brought on football, the next year we brought on basketball. And every six to nine to 12 months, we bring in some. Because we were almost overwhelmed. We weren't a huge company. We never were more than 200 employees. When you bring out something completely new, you got to staff up for it. you got to train. I wasn't pressing on the accelerator as much as, as uh, tapping the brakes. On the other hand, when I'd done the analysis, this is something we need to do, we jumped in with both feet. And we generally hit the ground running with these other publications and grading and some of the other things that we did. I believe in the category. You know, I believe in the people that are in the category. There's way more good guys than bad guys. There are a few bad guys here. I never thought it would keep growing to this extent, and it may grow further. But I'm a optimistic realist, perhaps. I never had financial goals. I never had circulation goals. I just wanted to be going in the right direction. Yeah. And I said, if we do a good job, we'll be rewarded. We didn't drastically increase our production. We were printing to demand, maybe even slightly less than we kept growing every month for a long time. So is that foot on the accelerator? I didn't yeah. think of it that way. Yeah. I thought of it as we can barely handle what we're doing. We had, again, a strong team, especially in the early days where everybody did everything. We just pitched in. So, yeah, we probably punched the accelerator for BGS when that came out. On the other hand, I don't like to give away products to gain market share. It can cheapen the, cheapen the product. And I was getting this for free, and we started the magazines. Dealers would call up and say, I want to check it out. Send me a few copies to check it out. We don't do that. We want some copies. They're on consignment. Set up an account. That's easy to do. They've, they've gradually come around. There was no risk to them, but we weren't giving them away. It was the same with cards that you could return... Well, in some you could, on the retail side you could, in the hobby shop you couldn't. Okay. Hobby distribution, you bought them. Uh, on the other hand, for many of those years, inventory appreciated rather than depreciated. Nowadays, last month's product, or three months ago product, it's probably not the same. It might be less, might be a lot more too. You just don't know. If it's stagnant, that's good in other industries, it's not here. If it goes down enough, people say, hey, I'm going to grab it up as it's lower than the SRP. But unfortunately, that's not the way our hobby thinks. If it's above SRP, which is the way they planned it to be packed out, that makes it good. Mm. In reality, it, it makes it tougher for the end user to make money yeah. unless the secondary market rewards those. Either there's a market applied up or down arrow, or they're looking at it with their own perspective it isn't like a, a, a toy or a can of coke it doesn't hold a price no. you just go up with inflation perhaps that's what attracted me to it so quickly because it was similar to you know, horse racing in that sense when did you start to think about selling the baby 
you created well, a heart attack yeah. miraculously revived so wow. that's get your attention and that was in 96 and I didn't wind up selling the company until 2005 but that got me thinking maybe I'm not going to have this forever maybe I'm not the best guy to take it to the next level I don't think I had the personality to bring in a, a president that would serve under me where I could take a year off and come back and hey how'd we do you know I, I too I was too hands on I enjoyed the hands on and I cast a long shadow. So when I was thinking, I'm the founder and I'm there. And so I thought, I'm either going to die or I'm eventually going to sell the company before I die. There, there came a time when I thought, now's the time. As soon as I think I'm eventually going to do something, then I think, am I going to do it five years, four years, three years, two years, one year, zero years? It came together pretty quickly. And, and if, if there hadn't been a suitable buyer, it wouldn't have sold. But there was a buyer that looked promising, and they didn't do as well. I think they were coming too much from a traditional publishing background. And I knew the CEO, the original successor. Then the next group that came in is the current group. And they've come at it way more as a database play rather than a publishing play. Yeah. That turned out to be wise. Absolutely. And this explosion in grading. Yeah. We're no longer a price guide company, which is what I started. It's not a grading company. That does other things. They've clearly invested a huge amount into what looks to be, you know, the, the next phase for Meta, exactly. which is good. I, it's good. My goal was to be the market leader and to, and to help shape and grow the industry. And I, in the meantime, there are many others doing things that are going to help grow the industry as well. I never wanted to monopoly. I just wanted to be first. Yeah. Yeah. Good place to be. I'm glad that you said that about when you got to a position where you didn't know if you were the right person. And whilst my business... I kept getting kicked upstairs. Yeah. I couldn't go to the shows and I had to, you know, have these meetings with other heads of other companies. So I wasn't looking at cards. I was looking at pictures of cards yeah. instead of cards. I didn't yeah. feel the cards. I would get the report about the cards. Yeah. That's not as much fun. I started out as a hobbyist and I'm returning to my hobbyist tricks. I got a great collection that I enjoy. I've heard about it. Sorting and whatever. My company is obviously much smaller, but this year I, I I had a moment where I was like, we've tried Grayson's ideas a fair bit over a decade now, and a lot of my ideas have worked, and a lot of them haven't worked. Some of them for the right reasons and the wrong reasons. But I reached out to my incredible leadership team. I was like, okay, this year, guys, it's your ideas because it's about time, and you're all matured and. You're some of the most experienced people in this space. Well, like I say, you don't have to sell the company if you've got people, if if it's working. It's not that I didn't. It's just that I I would have been the problem. That they were, I think, thinking, what would Jim do? What would Jim say? Maybe when I'm not there. I'm thinking at some point they got to say, I think this is what we need to do. And uh, and the people that got ahead in my company were the ones that said, we think this is a good idea. We're going to pitch it. If I disagreed... I was always giving constructive criticism back, and they'd say, okay. They'd come back a week later and say, you mentioned these concerns. We've addressed those concerns. Now what do you think? That's what happened with grading. Initially, I said, I I think it's potentially conflicting with the price guide is what people will say. I don't think it does, but I thought people would say that. They did say that, but finally I said, you guys have done great work. You're some of my best people. I really trust you. I'm so glad I listen to it. I saw the handwriting on the wall too. It's not that I was blind, but it's hard to cannibalize your own company. Any ideas you had in terms of grading while you were actively at Beckett 
that you still think could be applied today that could assist with the current challenges? Yes, but they weren't then, they're now. I meet with Jeremy every once in a while and, and the guys over there and I throw out some ideas and they like my ideas, but they're so far into it of doing what they do and they got so far behind as PSA did too that for me to give them a new initiative and I'm thinking, what about this? It just adds to the plate of somebody that's doing a really good job under difficult circumstances. The things I would suggest would make it easier for them in the long They're too busy trying to catch up. But I'm good about uh, not getting upset if people don't take my ideas. Pro bono consultant means they're not paying you. They're not always going to listen to you, yeah. and I'm fine with it. But I'm not going to hold back. I'm just going to say, what about this? They'll just say, we're not ready for that. Or that sounds good. I think they can really work, but we don't have any manpower for it. And I'm thinking, I'm not the boss anymore. If I were the boss, I could say, I'm going to get you some manpower. I'm going to put some money into it. We did that all the time. But I'm, I'm not in the chain of command now for me to say, hey, you ought to do this. We well, have yeah, fine, but I'm not resourcing. Yeah. I've been kicking the tires of the grading companies since 2014 at the Cleveland National. It was my first yeah. time of speaking with them about grading and having grading activations or grading domestically in Australia, and it's something that has to happen. There's so many uh, pain points to use those services in Australia. Most people in Australia want comps. They want the same price that it is in the US. The reality is that we probably get on average about 20% less than what the comps or the market price might be. And that's because the, the main uh, money is in the US. It's opportunity. There is opportunity, yeah. And the sealed stock, in many cases, is actually cheaper in Australia, in this current market. That's because in the US, the demand is higher. The market price of it pushes up faster. A box of NFL contenders might be $1,000 over here converted. It might still be at six or $700 converted in Australia. We're only just starting to see globally say, oh, wow, Cherry and other Australian stores are a good opportunity for us to buy some product. Not all, some. That's terrific. Like I said, these anomalies in the market are what make the hobby interesting. Absolutely. You know. Grayson, thanks. Thank you so much for having me on. What a, a pleasure. A pleasure for me too.